Hello and welcome to episode six. I'm really excited today to speak to Dr. Tiffany Jones. We met a long time ago, it seems now, uh, but I'm excited for you to come on to the to the show, Doctor. And um, why don't we do this? Why don't we start with who is Dr. Tiffany Jones? Um, pleasure to be here, Ricky. Yeah, we've known each other. I don't even want to say how long we've known each other. I was trying to. <laughs> um, I am a, a certified mental performance coach. I'm also a um, certified Chopra coach, and I've uh, been doing this for about 20 years. And I'm all on the performance side of things. So. Uh, I don't really dive into the mental health piece of it or the um, mental disorders, but definitely on um, performance. And that goes from everything from looking at team culture in terms of soccer to um, dealing with pressure, uh, the performance anxiety kind of things, how to be more consistent, how to build confidence and self-belief um, to coaching the coaches since they're with the athletes most of the time. And so it's really arming the coaches with the tools um, and one of my favorite aspects of my job is creating um, practices that are psychologically and physiologically as close to a game as we can get um, and closing that gap. So when the players are in a game, they're like, oh, we've experienced something very similar to this consistently. Because um, I find that a lot of times our practices don't mimic the things that the athletes are going to think, hear, feel, see when they're in a game. And, and no wonder they um, go a little wonky or the differences between how they may train versus how they perform under pressure. Well, I just want to touch on that. I know we had some questions line up, but I just wanted to touch on that part because like, that's something I speak to coaches about a lot. We have this like idea of what a perfect training session should look like. And one of the things I've been doing lately is just throwing odd conditions or odd situations into my training session just to see how the kids react right and from from the outside watching it's probably like what on earth is this coach doing you know and like an example was the other day i just i took no equipment to a training session mm -hmm. and i'm like oh i forgot my equipment like this is what we're going to do today and you could see the kids looking at you and they're like all right well this this sucks this is not going to be like a regular training session and it was interesting to see their response. So it was like, all right, well, we're just going to use these flags. We got a couple of balls. You guys have brought your balls. You guys use, you guys are kind of dark. You guys are light colors. And it was interesting to see how they responded. And that's, I know we're way off path right at the start here, but that's like one of the things I loved about when I first saw you work, how you create these environments that are very realistic to the, behaviors and the emotions that the, the players might go through in a game. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that most humans, like we react, right. And not respond and reaction is out of emotion and the emotion comes from our thoughts. And so you don't bring out balls or whatever and, and equipment and maybe a kid has experienced that before. And so that they, they see that and they're like, Oh, this is fine. We'll figure it out where most of them are going to then have the, the triggers. You're not bringing anything out their thoughts, go, this is going to be a stupid practice. Then the stupid practice goes, why are we even here? We could be doing so many other things. This is dumb. Um, the energy start now the behavior starts to change the energy focus. Um, the cognitive processing starts to shut down and it's all because of the stories they're telling themselves. And so a lot of what I've been teaching lately is about the self-awareness. Like they've got to be self-aware of like where their stories are saying. And all I tell athletes to do is listen to your body. Your body's going to tell you the answer. Like if you're stressed and tense or lethargic and like 
just going through the motion kind of feeling in your body, like that means that something's going on and the stories are going on up in your head. And so it doesn't mean kumbaya up. It doesn't mean you have to be like, wow, coach, thanks so much for forgetting the equipment. Like, that's not what I'm saying. Like, we're not going to kumbaya all this stuff up, but it's accepting reality. So yeah. we tell our athletes all the time, we want them to get present, but we never teach presence. And one way to do it is to say, okay, the reality is coached and bring the equipment. And that sucks. And what can we do? What will we do? And how are we going to do it right now so that we can still have a productive practice? So again, I don't need cheering that you forgot it. They can be like, God, how's coach a hot mess or whatever. <laughs> but the th and the thing is, is they've got to say, okay, what can we do right now? Like, like accept the reality. You don't have to like reality. Absolutely. It was, it was just interesting. And I'm always, I think as I get older and mature, I'm thinking about ways like some of my personal core values are be, be curious. That's one of my personal uh, core values. And now I'm trying to take that into my training and say, right, how can I, you know, create a little bit of chaos that they might have and see how they deal with it when it comes into a game and try and build that into my training sessions. And it takes so anyway, getting back on track, we went way off track real early there. Yeah. How did you become interested in mental performance? Uh, what was, you know, was it something right from a young age you thought, right, I want to be a mental performance coach? So I'm older. So uh, back in sophomore year in high school, I loved sports, was always captain of my teams and uh, just loved the inner workings. And I was also a hot mess mentally. So like, <laughs> I just want to make that very clear. Um, and struggled with many of the things that the athletes struggle with today. And, uh, but I knew I wasn't smart enough to be like an MD or a doctor. And I wasn't like going to go down and I didn't want to do that like training route. I knew I didn't want to be a coach because I didn't want to deal with the recruiting aspects of things. Um, and so my dad found a book in a bookstore. And back in the day, um, books had authors, um, phone numbers on them sometimes. And so Dr. Shane Murphy actually lived in Connecticut where I grew up and, he had written a book in the in the 80s about, you know, sports psychology and performance. And I read it and I called him up and I said, this is something I'm really interested in. And ever since sophomore year in high school, it was just something I knew I wanted to do. And I really wanted to be on the performance side of things because I wanted to catch the athletes in the moment of when they were struggling and really help process through all of that. And I also like that there was a huge ex-science, biomechanic, kinesiology component to it. So understanding what happens when you get in your head and how does the body start to break down and um, looking at those biomechanical things as well. Um, so, yeah, that's what so many, many, many years ago. So you went to college and then from college, you then you just marketed yourself you, through your contacts. You'd go out, start working mm -hmm. with programs or start working with individuals and marketed yourself. That's how it, that's how it all started. Yeah, I mean, I, I got my master's and my doctorate, and when I was getting my master's, I went back um, to Loomis Chafee, where I went to high school, which is private high school in New England, and then got into some of the other private high schools and was able to work with both boys and girls in all different sports um, very early on. Um, and that's where I met Tony DeChico, who obviously was from Wethersfield, Connecticut, and uh, he had uh, was doing camp at Southern Academy, which was another kind of... Um, another private high school, not that far away. And I came and I did some speaking for him. And then when he took over the 08 women's national team, the U20s, and that's with Alex Morgan and Megan Klingenberg and Sid LaRue and Listener and that whole crew of young women at the time, 
Um, and of course we won the world cup and then I got back and, you know, soccer convention is happening and now, now I'm the hot ticket. So <laughs> it was very heavy in soccer initially. And though I still work with soccer, um, I'm in so many other sports now, um, which right. is awesome because what you learn in other sports, you can take back and use some of those tools in soccer. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. So if there's, a, if there's a parent or there's a coach listening to the podcast now, hopefully there's loads of them, but if there is, like what, what are some of the things that they can use or what resources are, are there for parents or coaches that they can use to help with, with mental performance and improving mental performance in, in their um, environment? Yes, um, there's more and more. I mean, there used to be very few books, and now you type in mental skills training or mental skill, you know, sports psychology books, and a loads loads come up. And there's being some written now specifically for youth athletes, which is really great. Um, and I, though, honestly, it's what we should be teaching ten year olds before we even dive into like actual sport performance. Like my thing is, is that we've got to go to that like self awareness creating vulnerability, bravery to be vulnerable with yourself and then to others. Like I tell athletes all the time, if you don't know why, how am I going to be able to help you? Mm -hmm. What we do as parents and coaches is we observe behavior. If we try to get into the analysis, analysis of the behavior, we're in trouble. We might be close, but we're not. And we're doing a disservice to the athletes themselves because we're not giving them that tool and that skill on how to recognize what is going on in their heads and how that is changing, how they feel emotionally and physiologically. And so, you know, I tell parents to read Think Like a Monk by um, Jay Shetty because it really starts to ease you in or dive you into that what what is going on with the chatty mind or the monkey mind, they call it. And um, how does that impact all of this and where does it come? And there's other parts of the world who teach this to, to their 10 year olds. Right. And that's mm -hmm. why they have the, the most joy filled, purpose filled, not not needing materialistic things, not needing outside approval. And it's because we do teach that to 10 year olds and we're not teaching that. It's not being taught in schools. It's not really being taught in sports. It's not being taught by um, parents. And it's not because people don't wouldn't want to give these kids the tools is that we ourselves, even as adults, don't have the tools. So I would look at more of the, the mental skills training. I also, let me see, hold on. There is a book I just read that I thought was really good for kids, The New Playlist um, by John Acuff and his daughters. Okay. Um, and it, it does tap into sports a little bit, but man, I'm telling you, it's like the, the story. I like it because kids love music. Yeah. And so rather than talking about the thoughts, they, they connected to like the playlist, the music you're playing in your head and okay. how do you change the playlist or why do you have a certain playlist and how does that impact your performance in all aspects of life? Um, so that's a really great tool. And there's one for adults as well. But if people are listening, but it's a quick read, I find that the kids are really getting it. Um, they like the whole playlist concept and changing the soundtracks and changing the the playlist that they have put built in their head and how to do that and so there's a lot of really good hows as well so i know we want to dive right into sports but this is if we don't have these tools this is why you as coaches are like i i beating my head up against the wall it feels like no listen i think i think as adults the the self-awareness thing is massive right i mean we spoke briefly before I come on air and I've worked at a club for seven years and I think I got to a point where I worked every day I was tired I was exhausted never see my wife 
you know, and, and got to a point where it was like game after game after game after game. And having stepped away from the, having stepped away from that environment for over a year now, one of the things I've really done is sort of managed to reflect on like who I am as a person, like what, what is really important to me? Yes, I love coaching. I love soccer. I love being involved in that, that world. But like what are the things that I'm really like passionate about? And, you know, and I, I, I said it to you before. I, one of my core values was being curious, but I, I come up with four core values. And then what I've done is those four core values. I take them into roles that I play. So I'm Ricky. I'm just Ricky the coach. Mm-hmm. And, and coaching is a role. Mm-hmm. And with my core values, I take them core values into that role as a coach and try and let them core values guide me. And I think it's such a, it's such a powerful piece. Like I have, you know, I have um, somebody who I speak to about my core values and it, it's completely changed the way I coach. You know, it's it's made me be perhaps release a little bit more. So, like, not have as much control, not be in control. And, and as coaches, we always want to be in control. You know, we always want to be like, oh, you know, A, B, and C. I told you A, B, and C. Yeah. And what happens if D happens and all of a sudden the nerves kicks in and your body starts reacting like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, but But I also think that's important for children. You know, understanding like why why do you want to play soccer? What what are the feelings soccer gives you? Like what are the feelings sports gives you? And and realize those things. And and perhaps when you lose, or perhaps when you have a setback, realize that the reason you play sports is because you have those interactions with people. That's one of the most important reasons. You know, yeah. and, and that part's not it's not taught enough. You know, and I think that's one of the main reasons why I want to speak to you because it's. We're always we're always looking ahead. We're always trying to see what's next, and mm-hmm. and and not perhaps like you say, being self aware or being present in the moment as to why we're doing what we're doing. You know, and it's, it's I don't know really- how we incorporate that or build that into our daily environments as coaches. You know. Yeah, um, one of the big things is the writing and reflecting. So most of my athletes that I work with, and they're resistant. Some are resistant. Some will dive right in. Um, is the the writing and there's different types of writing right there's writing your rut which is the raw and filtered thoughts so that's a lot of times if you're feeling that stuff in your body that's not going to be helpful or serve you when you play is just get it out of your head and then write down like i can and i will and this is how i'll do it in practice and it could be like just i'm going to give energy to my teammates today like i'm Mm -hmm. a hot mess all over here um but the one thing i can and will do is give energy and this is how i'm going to give energy today and then you can always go back and kind of dive into the rut a little bit. But when you're about to go out and practice or perform, like we're not going to be able to solve a lot of those issues. Um, so it's just downloading it because it takes some of the power away from it. The reflections are done after training session and it takes its bullet points. It doesn't have to be a dissertation, but it's data. So I love when athletes are like, they can tell you why they were a hot mess that day or why they didn't play well. But if you ask them why they played well, they're like, I don't know. I was just on cloud nine mm-hmm. and I was feeling it. Well, how are we going to replicate that? There are things in your control yeah. that you did that allowed you to perform well. And we've got to capture those data points as well. Yeah. And so the reflections often are like, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? What did you do well and why? 
if there was something you struggled with, what was it and why? And then what's your biggest takeaway for next training session or next game? And that could be something from something you did well that you really want to remember or something you're going to correct for the next time. Um, and then the last one is called the Hollywood scripts. And that's what it usually involves. The story involves somebody else. Like coach is out to get me, doesn't like me, thinks I suck. And then you write all that down and then you fact check it, right? Like if it's your Hollywood script and you want it to be uh, based on a true story, well, then you better fact check your Hollywood <laughs> script. And, you know, I'll sit with the athlete and be like, well, have you talked to Ricky? Did he tell you you suck? And they're like, well, no. I'm like, cross that out. Not a fact. And like you go through <laughs> and you realize like, whoa, those stories. You know, or my teammate doesn't want to pass me the ball because they think I suck or they don't like me. And I'm like, well, have you asked your teammate that specifically? And they're like, well, no. And I'm like, not a fact. I mean, it may be, but you haven't fact-checked it. So at this time, it's not a fact. Um, So those are the three ways like coaches can implement. Um, That means the coach would have to give the three to five minutes to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. And my college athletes, my pro athletes, and many now my youth athletes that I work with, I mean, that's something that they do. They have a notebook with them at all times. Um, and they use it either for data points or to download the stuff that's going on in their heads. Um, I have whole families who are doing it now. If they get into a disagreement, they all go to the corner of the house and write a rut and then come back and share it or a Hollywood script and come back and share it with the family. So yeah, that was next level. That's brilliant. That's actually something I'm working on right now for players. Like I'm creating like a little booklet because I believe in that massively. Like, just like you said, I had a coach to player last night and, she scored a really good goal at the weekend. And the only reason I know is because her mum told me. Mm-hmm. So I said, oh, you know, what? Would you, you know, how did you play at the weekend? Oh, okay. All right, cool. You know, was there anything good that happened in the game? Mm, we played well. And I'm like, did you score? Mm-hmm. And she was like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I scored. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, how did it come about? She's like, oh, I can't remember. And it's, it's, it's funny you just said that. I'm like, we need to figure out what happened. Yeah. So if I if I need to go back to your mom, we we need to figure out if you scored such a good goal, and Why? capture those moments or capture what led up to it, right. so you know you can do it again or you can repeat it in difficult environments, you know. Exactly. Yep. And it's interesting, kids. That she told she she did tell me the things she did wrong. Of course, oh, she, she was like, oh, I didn't do this, I didn't do that, I didn't do this. But the one magical moment, it was like couldn't remember it quite well, you know. So it's. It's interesting where the mindset. We're teaching this to them. Like, if you're not perfect, if you don't fit in a box, you're not getting the college scholarship, you're not going to this college, you're not going to make this team. And um, we're robbing them of their joy because we're everything is like set in expectations. I'm good with standards or goals, and goals are used really to set standards. But the expectations are fixed in the future. And this is what gets coaches and parents in trouble as well, is we're control freaks. And we're mm-hmm. like, if we do all of these things right, this is certainly what we're going to get. This is what I expect I'm going to get. And then the expectations lead to what ifs. What if we don't? What if I don't win? What if we don't win? What if we? I don't play well? What if, what if, what if? And the overarching emotion that comes with what ifs is fear. Mm-hmm. Well, how in the world are athletes, coaches, parents going to enjoy this game and love it for what a lot of us started playing and loved it and found joy in it? How are we going to ever find joy if we're in constant states of fear? Mm-hmm. And so it's in those expectations just rob us of that. And again, I'm okay with holding standards. Standards are things that are 100% in your control. 
most of the future, unless you know something different than I do, Ricky, we don't really have a lot of control. If we did as a coach, you would never gain. Your team would play brilliantly every single time. Um, this is why I tell people all the time, why are you betting on sports? You're betting on humans who are hot messes that on any given day, something is going on, right? And this is why I don't coach. I'm not like, I'm a coach, but I'm not like just with one team because, oh my gosh, to rely on like college athletes who are 18 to 22 with minds of 12 to 16 year olds, I am not putting 12, my, my future earnings in, in the hands of 12 to 16 yeah. year olds. Um, so again, it's those expectations and it's being careful as coaches and parents and to allow our athletes to take risks and to applaud the risk taking, not the result, not the expectation of it. Um, I love, I probably would love to see you. I've always loved watching you coach, but even now, because the more hot mess the practice, the better the practice for me. The more curveballs, the more the kids are making mistakes. And again, I'm looking at their response to the mistake, but the more they're making mistakes, they're getting better. But as coaches, we tell them to make mistakes. And then when they do, we lose our minds. Mm -hmm. And so we send mixed messages a lot of times to our athletes. And I'm watching the coach. I hear what the coach is saying, but then I look at the coach's behavior and I'm like, those kids are never going to take that risk again. Mm -hmm. um, and so if that's what's really hard is watching these kids be paralyzed by perfectionism, expectations. It's, it's totally robbing them of the joy of the sport. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's... I think also, though, the, to be honest with you, Tiff, like the older you get, the more you like you you trust your judgment in the craft of coaching. Mm -hmm. You know, like when I was younger, yeah, I wanted to run the perfect training session and I wanted it to look good. I wanted people to be like, who's that guy over there? And now as I get older, I'm like, what can I do that's going to prepare these players whether it's individuals, a team, or whatever it is, what, what can I do that's going to prepare them? And it might not look clean. It might look a little bit messy, you know. It, it, somebody might not agree with it, but that's okay because as I get older, I'm a little bit more comfortable in my beliefs, you know. I'm doing a podcast later today for somebody else. They're interviewing me, and that's like one of the questions, like what have you learned over the years? And that that's what I'll talk about, just being comfortable in your beliefs, but because you have a reference of coaching for so long first, you know? And I think that's where sometimes the, with kids, when you're working with kids, that, I guess that trial and error as a coach also comes into playing, letting them fail, letting them then understand why they fail, and then guiding them in a direction that might help them. Because that's also important, not to just keep letting them fail, but also guiding them and plodding them along that path. But that's, but that's ego, right? So like we all have six emotional needs that every human being and mm -hmm. the two that get the most, you know, we will say, well, I want to, you know, create this perfect, I, 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 it's me. It's about us, not about the kids and what's best for their development. And it's the significance and certainty. So the certainty piece is one of the emotional needs. And we are as coaches are, if I coach like this, train them like this, recruit these players like this, I expect this. And then when it goes awry, it hits our ego. And mm -hmm. then the other piece that's very closely tied is significance, meaning my team performs well, I'm great, I'm significant, I matter, I'm a good coach. Where, um, and then that's all, like all those emotional needs, that ego is all through those six. And if two or more of your needs are not being met, then we will do almost anything to get those needs met because it's really uncomfortable. 
So mm-hmm. when I see coaches lose their ever loving mind, I'm like, oh, certainty and significance, certainty <laughs> and significance, right? And um, so to translate to a player, if their significance comes from playing time, and now they're not getting playing time, which is really dangerous because it's not in their control, but often that's what they tie it is. They're hearing it from their parents and from society that if you're not playing, then what's your purpose, basically? And so if their significance is tied to minutes or not getting the minutes, you then see them go in one of those reactive behaviors. So they either go fight, flight, freeze. They're either going to blame the coach, they're either going to cry, um, or they're going to walk away from the game. Those are three examples of three different ways someone might react to not getting playing time. And right away I go to, okay, what needs are not being met or how do you like your needs to be met? So it's like rechange, like your core values would help you maybe change how some of those needs are being met as a sovereign coach. And yet it's so interesting to like have to recognize that's your ego, that's ego. And we're all, we all have it. It's when you become aware of it and how it's trapping you and controlling you and, and creating you know, behavioral styles in your coaching. Um, once you become aware of that, then you become your brilliant, mature, sophisticated self, Ricky. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, that's the challenge, right? One of the things I love about your, your website is, you know, the resources that you have on your website, some of the videos, some of the events that you've been at. And, um, you know, one of them was, you were speaking about Tiger Woods and how he recovered from injury and stuff. And, you know, in youth soccer, you deal a lot with female players who are dealing with coming back from an ACL injury. And a lot of the times you get, uh, I want to play, but I'm not quite sure I'm ready. And, and then sometimes, unfortunately, in that little window, that's where other injuries occur because they're not quite ready. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things, Tiff, because you, we know it's a massive problem in youth sports, whether it's just soccer or other sports. What are some of the things players can do to prepare themselves when they're coming back from a major injury to prepare themselves for stepping back onto the field? I just had a conversation with an elite gymnast that just tore her ACL, so it ties in nicely. Um, I think what happens is, is that they do – we know rehab now. Like, thank goodness we understand the knees and our ligaments and everything. And so the physical rehab, like we've had down, everyone's body's different, but for the most part, we know how to rehab a physical, like the physical ACL. My issue with athletes is that they check out. So they're healing and they're working on their body, but they shut down their mind and our, our brain is a muscle. And so now they get back to the game and where does all the insecurity and all of that kind of stuff start to come up is because they basically, they haven't really watched training. They haven't, in, 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 you know, de- like dive right into right into like the soccer piece and watching soccer and immersing themselves in it and working on the self awareness and working on mental skills and working on all the stuff that they don't usually have time for, and it hurts. It hurts to like dive and it hurts to go to practice every day and watch your teammates go and it's e- it's easy it's comfortable to check. And for me, it's like, that's why like a Tom Brady had such a good season this season after his ACL tear is because he didn't shut down his mind. He did all the tactical work. He did the psychological work and the emotional work. And the athletes that do that come back and it's almost like they didn't skip a beat. They're almost stronger in a lot of ways. They're better. They've reinvented themselves because they took that time to do so. And so I'm top, to, to always talking to athletes about like, this is a great opportunity to work on the emotional and the psychological um, and most steer clear of it. And yet when they come back, it's not just the physical, they, they're back. Okay. Physically it takes them a whole nother year to get back because they've let their mind kind of atrophy. Mm-hmm. Um, and to compete is a skill. 
Um, you know, the mental toughness stuff is skills. And if you're not mm -hmm. working on those skills, they start to atrophy. Um, Jordan Angeli has a great site, you know, it's called the ACL club and it's like a great yeah. support network. And it really dives into a lot of the mental side of things. She tore ACL three times, um, you know, and so she understands the mental, psychological and emotional components of coming back mm -hmm. and it's not really the physical. Yeah. Um, and so she has really good resources as well, um, on her site, but um, no, yeah, I, I actually. I've worked with Jordan before when I first come to Georgia, I was work, I worked for Georgia rush and she was with the rush organization. She has a fantastic, fantastic website. And some of my players have gone through that as well. Yeah. So uh, what's it? Another, another challenge, I guess, because I work with youth players a lot is the the concept of they've trained all year, a college coach, they're going to a big showcase. College coaches are contacting them to come and watch them. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've been through this process quite a bit. Coach comes for 15 minutes and then gets up and leaves. Mm -hmm. And in that 15 minutes, the player might have played well, mm -hmm. probably hasn't done what they wanted to do in front of the college coach. Mm -hmm. And then for the remaining three games or two games, whatever it is, the player's completely lost mm -hmm. because they think that coach doesn't, doesn't think they're a good player. That's why they left after 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. You know, what's some of the things that player should go through going into that environment, whether it's a showcase or state cup final or whatever it is, a national final, what's some of the processes that players can go through to remain balanced, if you like? Yeah, I mean, you touched on it. And I know these are some of this will tie into some of the questions you're asking is there's a difference between confidence and self-belief. And I think we over glorify confidence a lot or we mask everything with this term confidence. You know, coach took my confidence away. Those coaches walked away in 15 minutes and I lost my confidence. And I'm like, confidence doesn't work like that. Confidence comes from what I call blue zone training, which is where you're locked in high energy, right? Like controlling the controllables training on your edge every day. So Confidence are four facts. You've either done them or you don't. And if you have done all four, you're, you're confident. So like blue zone training, experience, um, preparation. So off the field, regen, all the taking care of your body and your mind. Um, and then um, fit, fitness. So if you're all those four, you, you, you check them off. Those are facts. Like you've done them or you haven't done them. And you can't trick it. If you haven't done them, you haven't done them. Mm -hmm. But you can have like the highest confident person who's done all of that stuff. And if they have low self-belief, they'll negate the confidence. Meaning like self-belief is enhanced or attacked internally, externally. Externally is from social media, uh, coaches, what their parents are saying to them, um, the expectations people put on them, all of the noise on the outside. And I can really help athletes really like not block out the noise, but filter the noise or where am I going to give my power to? And if it's helping you and serving you, take it. If it's not, how do we not take it? And then there's the internal and the internal comes from just what you did. It's a self-awareness. It's what are your triggers? It's what are the meaning behind the triggers? It's the stories you tell yourself. So you see a coach get up and all of a sudden you're like, oh, they don't like me. This sucks. I'm never going to be recruited. Look at it. And the stories start to go. Well, if that's where your head's going, what do you think is going to happen to your body? And how do you think you're going to play now? And so it's the internal self-belief. It's the stories. It's the self-talk that you're saying to yourself. And it's being where you can't stop the initial like, oh, crap, they just got up and left. Okay. It came in. But then do you let it hook you and does it send you down a whole story 
and now it impacts the way you're thinking on the field and the in your body. And now you're not playing well, not because the coach walked away, but it's the stories you told yourself. It's the self-belief stuff. And so you can give me a high self-belief athlete who's coming back from an injury and doesn't have a lot of confidence because they're not fit. They haven't done the training, right? And they find a way to still be really good because they know what they can focus on. And then you have a kid who's super confident with low self-belief and they're a train wreck. We as coaches have a lot of control or more control over helping them develop confidence because we can create training sessions and all of that. What is what I feel so poorly for our college coaches and for our youth coaches is that a lot of times parents in society and the athletes themselves want you to give them self-belief. We can't do, we can give them tools. There's nothing more we can do for them. If I mm-hmm. tell our athletes all the time, if I could go in your head and rip out all that stuff you're saying to yourself, I would do it in a heartbeat. If I could simplify this for you or make it easy, I would. It isn't easy. They would much rather deal with the physical pain and beat their bodies into the ground and do fitness than deal with any sort of emotional pain. And if they don't dive into the work on the self-belief side of things, they're never going to reach their excellence or they're never going to be consistent. Um, And really, they can get by for a long time. And usually it's going to be in college or my pros where we see it. We all see it on the biggest stage when they haven't done the work on the self-belief side of things. Because you see the inconsistencies, you see the volatility, you see the, um, the injuries um, because of all the stress toxins that have built up in their bodies and all of that kind of stuff. So coaches who are listening, parents, athletes, like confidence is different than self-belief. Confidence is facts. But if you have so low self-belief, then you start knocking the facts. Did I do enough? Am I what, good enough? What do, you think, what do you think can help, like, help? develop the self-belief so like i'm i'm of the belief that um if you treat the player as a person first Mm -hmm. oh if you had a tough day like so my first thing i say to kids when they get to to practice is guys had a good day at school Mm -hmm. because then all of a sudden i'm starting to like figure out right he's had a tough day he failed an exam and Mm -hmm. now i'm just right i can't really push him i can and work this group. Do you think if coaches treat players as people first over players, that helps? They oh. a little bit more understanding, if you like. Yeah, absolutely. Players want to know you care about them no matter what about their sport. And they and they'll sniff that out in a heartbeat if you mean it. I mean, I'm constantly like we do much too much teaching in our country. There's a difference between teaching and coaching. Teaching is when we're the experts and we hold 90% of the knowledge. Right. So we're teaching um, and that's good when they're younger and we're teaching. But even then, like, when are we switching into coach role? If they understand what they're supposed to do and then they get to the application stage of it. So now they're applying with no pressure. That's when we should be turning into 50 percent teacher, 50 percent coach. We're an expert. And yet how often are we asking them what they're thinking and feeling in that drill? How often are we asking them what they're seeing and feeling and hearing and all of that kind of stuff and letting them be the experts on themselves? When we get to application under pressure, 90 percent of us should be coach. We should not be teaching. We should not be assuming. We should be asking them a bunch of questions and they should be providing us their expert analysis. And that takes, I mean, that you really have to work on it. You have to be patient. You have to Mm -hmm. teach them how to do this. Um, It's amazing when I'm sitting, like I work a lot now with gymnastics and the coaches who get this because in gymnastics culture, they immediately look over to see was that good or not good. I'm like, it's freaking good. 
Why are you looking at me before you smile? It's the same in soccer, to be fair. I see a kid do that the other day. Why why are you looking at me? Mm. Like you, the biggest tool we could give our kids and our athletes and adults is I know if that was good. Mm -hmm. It's nice to get a compliment. It's nice to have a coach around and yet I don't need it. That's such empowerment is I I don't need the compliment and I don't need the coach there to fix this. I -hmm. have the tools to make and adapt and change that's going to help my game better. And yet it's nice. I choose to have the coach there. I don't ever need the coach to fix myself. And because Mm -hmm. we're such a big business, youth sports has created a system where I feel like I need the coach because if I need you, I'm going to keep paying you. And Mm -hmm. you keep paying the clubs. The best coaches on the planet are the ones who maybe ask really, really good questions. And I see and hear the athletes just diving into the meat of it themselves. And I can see them processing and analyzing. And then by the end of the conversation, they know what their correction is or what they're going to do differently next time. And I'm starting to see this with my gymnastics teams I'm working with. And these are the best of the best, right? These are Olympians, future Olympians, current Olympians, and to see them grow in this way and to see how much better their gymnastics get and to see the joy come back is like the greatest thing. And I always tell my young, the gymnasts, I'm like, this is for you as women. I don't mm-hmm. want you tucking your tail between your legs and kind of needing reassurance or you know, acceptance from what someone else thinks of you. Like, I want you to be like, no, I'm the woman. I know exactly what's going on. Yes, I made that mistake. Yes, I know how to correct it. Thank you very much. And so that's where I'm always like trying to say, this is for me. I care about gymnastics because you care about gymnastics. If you stop playing gymnastics or soccer, I'd still care about you and love on you. And yet, like, I care because you care. And let's use sports as a means to teach it. But I'm like, this is a lifelong service, like, especially for our girls and, and young women. For sure. For sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's so much more life skills that we that we teach. And I always say, you know, winning and losing comes and goes. Mm-hmm. What the, the most important part, there's such short moments, the most important part is the bits in between. And, and that's the that's the journey, if you like. Right. Um, I mean, you probably spoke about it before, but like I know from a young person and I know from even maybe 10 years ago when we first met that social media is like a different animal now. I mean, it's it's instant. And one of the questions I had was about instant gratification. It, it almost They're almost wrapped into each other, social media and instant gratification. You know, you want something... It's there on, on a tap on your phone. Mm-hmm. You, you score a goal and you can upload it in an instant to your phone. Yeah. Also, you make a mistake and it can be uploaded to, your, to, to social media in an instant. Mm-hmm. How, do, how, do, how should players begin to like manage that environment? Not just players, I guess. I think parents and coaches are really important in that role. I know as my social media has grown, I've become really more conscious of what I share and why I share it mm-hmm. um, because I'm conscious of like what the effect might be on the, whoever it is I'm working with or whoever it is I'm, I'm talking about, you know? Right. I think um, I used to do the blanket of it. It's not good. You know, like it really is a social comparison piece. Parents comparing their kid's experience to another kid's experience or another team or what are they getting and what are we not getting and how, who is she being seen by or he being seen by and my kids not being like it, it, you know, it's all these kinds of things. And we were invited to this tournament. They weren't, you know, I think you have to listen to your body. Not sometimes that fuels someone. 
and drives them. So I don't want to say don't get on social media because it kills you. Now, I would say anything over two hours a day, it does physiologically and emotionally take a toll on you because of the social comparison and the flooding of information. So I'm pretty, if I'm looking at the science, up to two hours is okay. Anything over that you are like going to take from yourself. You're putting yourself in a fight, flight, free state and putting yourself in creating stress, anxiety, and fear and all of that. Um, and you're self-inducing this. This is why I think we do have a lot of mental health issues um, is because of that. However, it can serve you. That could motivate you. It could put drive in you. So when you're on it, listen to your body. Do you feel energized? Are you excited? Does it get your butt up off the couch and you go in the backyard and you're going to like get in a half hour of extra touches? Like, mm-hmm. I don't, that's why I don't want to take it away because sometimes it will serve the mm-hmm. coach or, or parent, right? To be better, to feel sure. good. But I would say a lot of times, if you listen to your body and you're on that stuff, you're feeling deflated, defeated, jealous, insecure, heart starts to race, start to get sweaty, get a headache, jaws clenched. Like your body will indicate to you rather than going to your head, which is getting you in trouble in the first place is listen to the body. It will tell you Mm -hmm. if what you're looking at or reading or watching is serving you or hurting you. So I think one of the, one of the videos I was watching on your website, again, it spoke about like the NBA. One of the biggest problems they have in the NBA is uh, players, you know, uh, concerned about social media and like uh, social media effects affecting them. And we're, t- we're talking about like, like masculine superstars who are like unbreakable and the best things in the world. Yet what someone's saying on social media is affecting them and the way that they perform, you know? And I think one of the things that I've found is just boundaries, like setting boundaries, realizing, like you say, that, I also think there's a really valuable tool in the way that you can promote yourself as a player in terms of recruitment using social media. Now, if you're very sensible about the way that you share your clips and your performances, but just finding those boundaries is is also incredibly important. Yeah, know yourself. If that does not serve you, have your parent do it or have a friend who wants to like build up the resume or something like that, or find a college athlete that, or a college kid who would want to do that for you. So a lot of pro athletes do that. They, they have to learn about themselves and go, no, I mean, mo- a lot of those NBA guys stay off their phones during like playoffs and stuff. Cause they don't want to read all that stuff. They need all their energy mm-hmm. and focus to go to the games and to uh, regen. And so like, they just know themselves. And so their wives or girlfriends or significant others or whoever friends, agents, take over that social media stuff because they know they need to keep their brand going and to promote themselves. And they also know it's not going to serve them. So I think there's some, it is a very high level sophistication and maturity I'm asking for. But again, I'm like, let's not overthink it. Just listen to your body. Like your body's going to tell you if it's serving you or helping you, or if it's hurting you. And if it's hurting you, that's where you've got to say, well, if I don't perform, then this is for not at the end of the day, I'm an athlete and I've got to perform consistent consistently. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not pouring consistently, it doesn't matter how great my social media looks. Cut it out. No. Yeah, for sure. All right. And I'm conscious of your time, Tiff. So if there's like one thing that you could, one piece of advice that you could give a director, a parent or a coach in a, in a coaching organization, mm-hmm. what would it be? Apart from obviously hiring yourself to come in and work with our athletes like what would it be what would be that one piece of advice is don't be afraid to tackle some of this stuff coaches you didn't go to school for this it's okay to say you don't know 
um, and to say, listen, I'm learning, I'm learning right alongside of you. We're going to try things. We're going to try to implement different things and see how it goes. And um, if the coach buys into this and buys into the importance of it, and even if they're creating five minutes of practice to, to do writing or to reflect or to do something or have a quick conversation or, you know, something, um, it, it's not going to hurt. It can only help. And yet a lot of coaches don't do it, honestly, because we're insecure because we don't know the stuff mm -hmm. and the, the athletes will have even more respect for you. If you're like, listen, I'm walking in this journey with you right at the same time. I'm going to try these things with you right where we're doing them. Um, that is so incredibly helpful is to create a space where they can start having these dialogues and conversations. And so they don't feel like they're crazy or that they're alone. So many of them think they're the only ones that have those kinds of um, stories they create in their heads. Um, and so uh, even just having conversations where they go, oh my gosh, I'm not by myself, mm -hmm. um, especially for young boys and, and young men, um, to go, I'm not the only one that's struggling with this. Like, it's okay to talk about it. Um, same with girls, but girls sometimes will chat with themselves in smaller groups more so mm -hmm. about this stuff. Um, but yeah, I would say just tackle it and be brave as coaches and directors of athletics and club owners to say, we, we know what we don't know, and we're going to find the resources that we can provide this for our athletes. I think it goes full circle to what you were saying at the start about being more self-aware. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's a self-aware moment. Mm -hmm. I'm not, this is not where I'm an expert. Like what can we do to help this environment and, and be honest with yourself. So yeah. absolutely brilliant advice. Right. There's so many golden nuggets in here. I can't wait to sit down and listen back through and, and use some of the stuff in this interview. If, if people want to find out more information about yourself and like I said, your website's an amazing uh, reference tool in it, just in itself with some of the information on there. What, where can people find more information about you? Yeah, sure. You just go to my website at xfactorperformance.com. Um, I'm on Insta, but not really, um, at Dr. <laughs> Tiff Jones. Um, there's information, but on my website, my email's there and contact information. So feel free to reach out, ask questions. Um, I have a great online training series that's all on the uh, mental performance side of things. I have a lot of athletes and, and clubs who have purchased it and or college programs that use it as a great foundation with all the tools that you would need to get, get going and to become more self-aware and all that good stuff. So, um, please reach out. Um, I love having questions and I love supporting my youth athletes and my youth um, coaches because you are the ones that are developing the skills or not developing the skills right now for the athletes. Um, I tell college coaches anytime if they have a mentally tough kid, who's really self-aware that they should go back and give some of their salary to the youth coach. Um, I don't know anyone who's done that yet, but trust me, youth coaches, I am definitely promoting and advocating for you. So, <laughs> All right. Well, listen, once again, thank you for your time. All that information, I'll make sure that's on Anchor, which is where my podcast sits, and I'll share it on all my uh, social platforms as well. So awesome. thanks once again, Tiff, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, Ricky.